What's up, guys? This is Kevin Estello with Fieldcraft Survival. I'm going to be your host for not only this ad space, but this podcast with Shane Adams from SE Knives. This uh, this podcast is going to be really interesting because Shane uh, is representing one of the companies that we highly respect here at Fieldcraft. Uh, we carry their knives in our Fieldcraft Survival HQ, and uh, I've been friends with these guys for quite some time. They wrote the you know one of the back cover book recommendations for my first book. And just like us, they are getting censored by Instagram, but they got a lot of cool stuff that they do. And I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we get down to this podcast, we've got to recognize the sponsors that make this podcast totally possible. And those sponsors are Black Rifle Coffee and Sig Sour. Black Rifle Coffee is located right over the hill from us. I say the hill, but it's actually a mountain. It's it's Parley's over here in Utah. They're over in Salt Lake City. And, uh, they're, they're good folks. We are always over at their events. They're over at ours. We drink their coffee every single day here at uh, the studio where we're recording this podcast and we're, you know, doing a lot of the, the various content behind the scenes. So uh, Black Rifle Coffee, uh, Evan and the boys are crushing it over there. I should say boys and girls or boys and gals or guys and gals because their company is growing. Uh, they got a lot of really, really cool folks, good friends. And like I said, they make this totally possible. So whether you decide to pick up a cup of Silence or Smooth, Just Black, or the uh, Fieldcraft Survival Blend, yeah, um, definitely enjoy it. And please check them out, BlackRifleCoffee.com, at BlackRifleCoffee on Instagram and all the socials, and you'll see just why they're growing and they're doing so well. The other company that is making this totally possible is Sig Sauer. Sig is... One of my favorite places to travel to when I'm back home in the, on the East Coast, I grew up in Connecticut. I would drive up to the SIG Academy many times a year and train over there in everything from pistol, rifle, shotgun, uh, precision scope rifle. They do it all over there. Uh, I never got a chance to do their med classes, but I've heard they're pretty good too. If you can only take one class at the SIG Academy, I would have heavily, heavily recommend that you take bullets on vehicles. Of course, you have to do all the prerequisite courses, but when you get in the passenger seat and the SIG range masters are driving on the range and you're shooting out the window as the vehicle is moving, yeah, that's a good time. So please check out SIG Sauer. Uh, a lot of the folks here carry SIG pistols, whether it's the 365 or the 320 and it's various configurations, phenomenal, phenomenal firearms. So guys, we're going to get down to this podcast. But again, please check out Black Rifle Coffee in Six Hour. Uh, follow them, buy their products, help them support us and this podcast that you will hopefully enjoy. Here we go. Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Estella. I am the director of survival training here at the company. And, you know, a lot of folks ask me, they're like, hey, if I can't get out to train with Fieldcraft, who do I train with? And I tell them, you've got to train with my favorite Instagram band folks over on the East Coast. They are good people, solid people, amazing skill sets, great instructors. You got to train with SE Knives. So I have someone from SE Knives here. I actually have their marketing director and their utility player, uh, whatever that means. I don't know. We're going to find out. I've got Shane Adams. Shane, how are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing well. Glad to be here, Kevin. Yeah, I'm glad you're here too. We haven't been banned yet on this platform, but that's not the same as... <laughs> give it time. Yeah, give it time. You know, we're eventually going to be on another government list, I'm sure. Uh, but what the hell happened with you and Instagram? Like, like they didn't give you any notice, right? 
Dude, it was. It's not just me and Instagram. Uh, it's us. It's me personally and uh, SE Knives and Randall's Adventure and Training personally. So, so I'm going to give you a global exclusive here, Kevin. Here we give go. You the full, full smash, okay? And I've been reluctant to do this, but I've just made up my mind here in the last couple of days on kind of how I'm going to tackle this. So, uh, February 22nd, uh, sitting in a hotel room uh, in Camp North Carolina after doing some training all day, some search and rescue training. And, uh, well, let me ask you this, Kevin. Um, what do you do as a company whenever a new social media platform comes out? Oh, wow. I mean, we've, we've transferred a bunch of our stuff. Uh, like we've jumped platforms here and there. We offer different things in different platforms, but we usually don't want to, um, because we want to stay loyal to our base. Right, right, right. We hate it. Right. But Mm -hmm. what happens if you don't do that and someone gets your name? Oh my God. Yeah. You're dead in the water. Right. So, so here, here's a fun fact. SC Knives on Twitter is not us. Um, <laughs> so it's one of the reasons I ha- we have a Knives Essie Twitter that sucks, and I don't do anything with it. Um, prior to my time when I came here, I'm going to go back in time, then we'll come back up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I inherited a, uh, a dead Facebook account a, and, a, and a couple dead Instagram accounts that hadn't had posts in a year and a half. It took me almost four months to get our SE Knives account back uh, when I first got here back in February of 2017. Uh, we had had, uh, hadn't posted in a year and a half, and, and uh, we had about 7,200 followers. I had to submit articles of incorporation, both for SE Knives and Reynolds Adventure Training, or Reynolds Adventure, I think, is on it. So another fun fact, if you go to Instagram and Reynolds Adventure, is not us or maybe it used to be us i don't know i never had that password and and, and even after giving instagram czars articles of incorporation that state it's our name and all this other stuff they still would not give me that account on instagram so reynolds adventure is not us on instagram se knives on twitter is not us um however on parlor on vero mm-hmm. on me we on every other new platform that comes out, uh, I've learned my lesson. And, and so now I get back to February 22nd, hotel in, in Canton. And I happen to remember that there is a new platform coming out that's advertising to be 2A friendly, and it's called Truth Social. Um, happens to be uh, run or, or owned or, or spearheaded by a guy that roughly half the population hates and the other population idolizes. Uh, that doesn't factor into our decision. It's just another platform that I got to make sure that we plant a flag in should it take off, right? Um, 24 hours and three minutes later, every social media platform uh, or account, personally and professionally, attributed to my Shane at SE Knives email was banned, hmm. uh, d- disabled. To, at first, no reason given. Um, and it's still, uh, you know, more than a month later, there's no reason given. Um, as a, have never received a personal infraction or warning or even a blurred content personally or professionally in my time managing this. Um, we appealed immediately. Uh, they gave us the SE Knives Facebook page back, which is, is kind of kind of sucks. Not a whole lot of traffic. 
They gave me my personal Instagram, which is Shane Adams 90 back. Uh, but we lost uh, 109,000 organic followers on Instagram. And I lost my personal Facebook page, which I had been part of since 2008, I guess. So uh, now, you know, a month and change after that, after repeated uh, uh, attempts, uh, even even had a friend's ex-girlfriend try to pull some strings that, that works for Meta. And they're like, yeah, I just had to create new emails, new this, new that. Uh, and we've still gotten nowhere. So what I've done is I've recreated or I created a new page on Instagram called SE Rat Pack Podcast, all one word. Uh, and between that and my personal page is uh, that's about all I'm going to do. I'm kind of done with those guys. Yeah, I don't call it Meta anymore or Meta. I call it Beta. Um, just because it seems like people that take that much offense to just thoughts that are online, right? Not even actions, right? Sticks and stones. Uh, it's the whole idea of just them censoring. I hate that idea of cancel culture. And, you know, I'll tell you that there are folks on, on both sides of the aisle that do that cancel culture and they forget that there are a lot of good Americans that are working for these companies that were so quick to cancel. It's like, if you really want to cancel something, you need to target the owner. Uh, you need to target like the CEO, but don't do that to all the other good folks that, that work there. And I know that at your company, I mean, I've met Patrick, I've met, uh, you know, Jeff, I met all the, the folks over there and they're good Americans. Um, so that just, that just drives me nuts. Um, well, well, I'll be honest with you, Kevin. Um, I started, I started kind of beating this shadow band drum about three years ago. And I think people looked at me with a sideways glance and thought I was kind of making some stuff up, but mm -hmm. I've really dug deep into our insights and have since I've been here. Um, and I knew three years ago that there were some things that were not adding up with our metrics, with our analytics, and, and it just didn't make sense. And we got stuck at 69,000 and just got shut off. And then we were stuck at 106,000 followers for two years where I was gaining and losing the same number of followers um, every day, every week, right. every month. It didn't matter. Um, I personally don't believe, I think probably, probably a big part of the issue is we had knife in our name mm -hmm. and on our, on our Instagram page. So I, I, I dropped that whenever I created the SE Rat Pack podcast account. Um, but then I think more than anything, our engagement rate with our, with our, our customers was, was almost three or four times the average size. And that's, uh, then, then the industry average. Uh, and that came through a lot of hard work and time spent, uh, just with me personally. If you ever see me in person, I've got these big black bags under my eyes. It's cause I never sleep. It's cause I was always oftentimes a uh, point of contact on social media or email or wherever else. And I think our problem as much as anything was who followed us. Uh, I, I think they're not just monitoring us. I think it's more importantly, they monitored, our clientele, our, our customer base, our followers, and then, and then kind of where they were slanted maybe towards one side or the other and mm -hmm. just figured, um, you know, We Knives uh, has lost their account in a very similar fashion. There's been other, I mean, other accounts that are coming out. Um, I can't put a finger on it, so I, I'm, I'm still a little bit stunned, but I'm, I, I wanted to give it a month because that's initially I was thinking maybe this is a 30-day ban, so I was pretty quiet about it. I didn't say anything. I, ch I kept trying to work contacts and sources and we've come up with, you know, with zeros. So uh, here we are starting over. Um, I think I created that SE Rat Pack podcast at about 1 a.m. Eastern last night. And uh, we've got a couple hundred followers now. We're just going to we're going to build. But we're also looking to do something different. Like I I'm ready. I'm ready to move to a platform 
that we control the content, that there is no algorithm that slants or, or censors people. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. And there, there's also no, uh, opinionated fact finders that aren't necessarily fact finders. Uh, we had some issues over here at Fieldcraft. Uh, we will not put knives on our website because we've been shut down, right? At one point there was a lot of money that was freeze, uh, frozen, uh, in our account and we couldn't do anything about it, you know, and it's unfortunate, but there's a whole other set of survival skills aside from what we traditionally teach, what you guys teach, what we teach that I think the average American needs to know about now, because we're at a point now where, again, just your opinion or your, um, you know, who you associate with can really ruin your, your livelihood. If certain folks behind the scenes at different institutions decide they're just going to shut you down. So, oh, it's frustrating, man. I, I feel for you guys. Um, but let's talk yeah, you, about, let, let's talk about what you guys stand for, what you do, because again, as I open up this podcast, I said, when folks can't train with, with us and they say, Hey, well, who's in our, our neighborhood? I'm like, you guys need to check out Essie. Um, let's kind of go back to the very beginning because I remember seeing Jeff Randall in the early days of American survival guide doing reviews and, and doing some wild stuff down in Peru. And, uh, I know you guys have expanded. You mentioned search and rescue training and a number of other different types of uh, trainings that you do and, and products that you offer. So where did SE begin? And I know it wasn't always called SE. Um, so, so tell us the history. Well, so man, this company was born on the floor of the Amazon jungle. Um, and, and the world may know us as SE, but our company started as Randall's adventure training doing jungle survival training down in Peru back in the early to mid nineties with Jeff Randall and Mike Perrin. Um, yes, we sell knives, but, but we still view ourselves predominantly as a training company. Um, it's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm a marketing director, but I don't own a desk and I spent, you know, 170 plus days in the field last year. Um, that's why I say utility player. If I need to, you know, I'm the guy that hey, I'm a logistics guy. I'm, I never considered myself an instructor, but if we need water, I go get water. I'm, I'm a, I'm a gopher. I'm the utility guy. I try to, I try to be, uh, looking ahead and making sure that our instructors are getting what they need. Um, but, uh, you know, we are very much a training company first and we have a training company slant. That's one of the reasons why we've stuck with 1095 and why we've been reluctant to move into super steels and other stuff. But, um, every one of those days I spent, you know, in the field, I spend with Jeff Randall, one of, you know, one of the owners and, and Mike Perrin as well. Um, our knives, anything we make or put out, uh, there's literally, we make ugly knives at work. Um, there's literally nothing fancy about our knives because there's nothing fancy about us. Um, we are in the dirt kind of people. Uh, we train, um, we move stateside, um, in the early two thousands before it was, you know, it was just Jeff and Mike, um, kind of backed into the knife industry. Um, Jeff and Mike couldn't find tools that they liked. So they designed some, had some small, had some small builders, you know, make them custom knife makers, make some of their knives, got picked up, uh, with a contract from Ontario, OKC, you know, if you look at, you know, OKC and you see the rat three, the rat four, you know, that rat is Randall's adventure and training and, and, uh, Jeff and Mike didn't trademark the name. And so, so they, you know, that's why, that's why Ontario uses those Jeff and Mike designed the, the rat folder for Ontario. Um, 
and, and they literally backed into the knife industry and, and um, they parted ways in early 2000s and went with Rowan and we've just never looked back since. Yeah. And the training that you guys have done in Peru, um, I remember talking with a couple of the, the folks there. Ruben is a good friend. He and I go back. Oh, yeah. Geez. I mean, we go back 17, 18 years now. Um, <laughs> I think long before the existing cancel culture, there were a couple of photos that emerged from Peru, which are like almost inside jokes that might have involved oh, yeah. a sloth um, that got a few yeah. people upset. And, <laughs> you know, that I just tell people, our, I'm like, that that's our, the reality of survival. I think that sloth picture was our first and only Facebook ban uh, because I think prior to my coming on board, Jeff posted a picture. I mean, when, when you're on the Peru trip and you're going to do the jungle survival, it basically starts from the time you walk out of the airport and you just get what you get, you know? Um, and at one point you eat what the natives eat and, and they kill the sloth and evidently a roasted sloth looks a lot like, you know, a human baby when and so people got upset with that it, it's still a sloth but um people got upset but but yeah yeah i know the picture you're talking about <laughs> yeah let's let's not get upset about the people actually killing babies around the world let's get upset with people who are training survival in the jungle that makes a lot of sense you know like well it's it's not about making sense at this point i you agree know? and that's where i am um I choose and, and something that we try to do as a company is we are, you know, we have, we don't have a whole lot of rules, but, but, you know, a couple of our hard and fast rules are, is we're apolitical. We don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion. Mm -hmm. We just really want to train and equip people. Um, and, and we train. And that's one of the things that, you know, I have a hard time sometimes gauging what social media has done for our, for our company and our base uh, but we have seen that we have really tried to reach out to all different types of people. And we've seen our demographic at the school at Randall's adventure training change. And we're, we're training all kinds of people right now. And we're, we're very, very happy about that. Um, now we've never had to kick anybody off because they were too extreme or something like that. And should, you know, should cook, push come to shove, we'd have no problem punting people that we didn't feel good about, but we've got tons of good people that come and train with us from all different walks of life that have very different experiences. And we just want to train good people. That's it. We don't care about your gender, your, your sexuality, your nationality, none of that stuff. Um, we, we like to say we make fun of everybody. And if we, that means we like you, you know? So if we're, if we're hazing you and giving you a hard time, that means you're, you're one of us and we're happy that you're there. Yeah. Um, I use the term equal opportunity hater. A lot of the oh, times yeah, in my yeah. class, I'm like, look, I will make fun of everyone. There's no such thing as a sacred cow. And again, if right, I'm not making right. fun of you, I don't like you. So I'll probably make fun of you. Yeah. If, if I'm making fun of you or we're, you know, razzing you or giving you a hard time, that means that means that, that you're in, you know, and if we're not, then you're probably not. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you've got the training side of the company. You've got the product side of the company. I mentioned before that we carry some of your knives in our our uh, flagship store here in Heber. And, you know, as an instructor myself over the years, I've seen a lot of people come through my classes with, with rat, uh, I'm sorry, not rat threes. Well, yeah, actually they rat carried three, rat threes yeah. and SE threes. Um, and then the, the, the rat four and the SE four. And then every once in a while, someone will show up with the, what is it? The five or the six. That's like the, three. The five is our thickest. Nine. Oh my that, God. And it's, 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 
it, it's funny because like that knife, I've never seen one break in a class. I've seen people put it aside and pick up a smaller like Azula. Yeah. You know, but I've never yeah, they, seen the fire learning. break. Well, we get, you know, of all of the night we get, I mean, you know, we've got a lifetime warranty on stuff. And, and I like to say we warranty even, you know, general dumbassery will do. You know, we've had people run them over, run them over, an SC5 over with a tank, with a track hoe, shoot them with high caliber rifles. Uh, I mean, occasionally we'll get a five back and we, it always kind of makes us scratch our head. I mean, you got to to break that. You've got to be. um Safe for certain instances, you know, you got to really be trying to break it. Yeah. And what's really cool about your company is when you go to blade show or you go to, you know, some of the trade shows, you actually are proud of the knives that have come back under warranty and you've got that big display and it's like, what the hell did that person do to that thing? Like a lot of broken tips, you know, the knife is being used as a screwdriver. Oh, probably 80%. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's one of my pet peeves is everybody like, the internet, the interweb loses their mind on the batoning debate, you uh-huh. know, like it, it's, it's so polarizing. Uh, but, but dude, 80%, 75 to 80% of our knives that we get back are all broken tips and nobody talks about, Hey, let's, can we not use this as a pry bar or as a screwdriver or something? You take the highest leverage point with the weakest strength and that's what we're going to use it for. Mm-hmm. But Yeah. So yeah. protect your tools, man. You think, you know, do what you got to do in, in a survival situation. But truthfully, there's probably not, it's probably less than 1% of the knives we warranty that were actually used in a survival situation. Yeah. Uh, our guy, Austin over here, he's our, again, our multi-tool. He does a little bit of everything. Um, when Austin was at the Sears school, he, uh, he was issued an SE4 and I mean, his, his knife is beaten up. So, uh, people always ask you like, well, what, what knife should I get? You know, what, what knife do, uh, survival instructors carry? And I'm like, well, that depends on which survival instructor you're talking about. But I can say that entire classes, uh, at Sears schools are, are given SE knives. Um, and there are a couple of high profile Instagram and YouTubers who have that oh, background yeah. that have SE knives. Well, the funny, the funny thing about that is, is that we don't have a cage code for that knife. That is not something that's issued. Those people are buying those with their own money and using them because those guys at Sear are, that to me is probably one of the highest endorsements that, mm-hmm. that we can have is that, and we love to see those knives used, man. Like, you know, I, when I came here, I created the hashtag beater Essie because I got tired of the flat lays and the posed pictures of brand new knives and, that's not that's not what our company's about. You know, we're we're users and 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 guys that want to get out there and get after it and do stuff. And that's we want our we want our products to reflect that that culture. Yeah, the uh, the highly polished knives, ones that show up in a lot of the Instagram posts, like hopefully they're they're product photos that are going to the manufacturer or a magazine or some type of review. But when someone shows up and they say, this is the knife that I use all the time. And I hear this all the time in courses, like I've beaten this thing and I look at it and I'm like, that sheath isn't even broken in or that knife doesn't have a scratch on it. And I'm like, you beat this thing, huh? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I even like, I'm pretty purposeful. I'll go onto that beater SE hashtag when I take a, when I take a notion and I'll troll people that's not <laughs> where it's not quite, mm, no, it's not beater yet. You got work to do there, buddy. You know, and if, and if that encourages them 
to take that knife and just go baton a few pieces of wood in the back in their backyard. I'm okay with it, but because it's getting them out, you know, but you know, and then they're also learning their, they're also learning more about their tool and what it's capable of and, and that kind of stuff. So, um, that's something I like to poke fun at people on social media with or give them a hard time. And most people that, that follow us and have, you know, come to know me, uh, know that, that it's all tongue in cheek, but, but, you know, we protect, we try to protect that hashtag, uh, because it means something to us. What I like about you guys too, is you've diversified, right? Like when people say like, Oh, what's field craft into? I'm like, well, we have medical training. We have overland training. We have firearms training, survival training, right? Like there's a little bit of everything that we do. You guys are very similar to us in that it's not just the survival training. I mean, everything is survival training, if you ask me, but you guys are also into rope rescue training and you also do a lot of the medical training. Um, I think the rope rescue stuff that you do is probably the most intriguing to me because a lot could go wrong up there. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, what do you offer the average citizen when it comes to rope rescue and why would someone take that class? Well, so I'll put it to you this way, Kevin. I think, I think, you know, attitude reflects leadership and, and also our course offerings and what we do and who we are reflects kind of a personal journey that Jeff and Mike have been on throughout this entire process is, you know, these guys are in their fifties and late fifties and early sixties at this point. And they're not the same place they were when they started this, you know, almost 30 years ago. Um, and, and so our course offerings change as our interest and as our skill sets change. Uh, so, so we get deeper and deeper into things. Um, Jeff and Mike started, you know, started teaching um, jungle escape and evasion uh, to the Peruvian Air Force back early on during the drug interdiction years. And, and then they brought that stateside. And then and, and so they were very plugged into search and rescue early on. Uh, Jeff has been a rope guy for, you know, 30 plus, 40 plus years. Um, and, and so he has a mind for physics uh, that's really quite, I mean, I'm dumbfounded by it. I don't like maths. I don't math well. Uh, and, and he has a mind for complex equations and all that stuff where he can do it in his head. And I just, just grin and nod. Um, but to your question, you know, why does some regular dude need to take, you know, something like single rope technique? Um, we're, you know, I think a lot of us are adventurers at heart whether we're true adventurers that actually get out and do stuff or whether we're people that, you know, live vicariously through social media, through other people, or we just aspire to, um, it, it to me is adding one more skill set into the toolbox in, in that just in case, uh, situation where if you had to do a short repel, uh, can you rig it up and, and do what you need to do? Um, you know, with search and rescue, oftentimes you walk into a situation that that you really don't know what you're getting into, and now you have an access issue, and there, that's the way you have to go. So, are you able to, you know, negotiate that access, that vertical exposure, uh, even if it's just a short stretch? Um, and plus, it's fun, man. I mean, let's let's be honest. We, we, you know, part of what we do is is most people. I'm fortunate that, and you are too. I would imagine we don't have a typical nine to five job, so we get probably our share of adventure and more than what most people do. So just getting out, learning something new, is a way of staying fresh, staying sharp, and, and adding more skill sets to the toolbox. Yeah, we uh, we we don't get to do a lot of the high angle stuff over here. Uh, we did a course 
last year called Breakout, where we had the students actually rappelling off of like a 90 foot building at Petzl, like Petzl headquarters yeah, in, yeah. in Utah. And I'll tell you, it was funny because one of, one of our good friends, one of our instructors, Jerry, um, shout out to you, buddy. He, uh, he got up on the roof and Jerry just had a kid like not too long ago. So he's thinking like with, with dad mindset, he's like, I don't know if I'm going to rappel off the roof. Right. And about five or 10 minutes later, he comes back up and he's like, you know, I didn't come all the way out here to not repel and then to live with regret for the rest of my life. Um, so I understand like Jerry's perspective, like not wanting to repel. There is a level of danger there, but I'll tell you, like personally, there have been times where, I mean, I've been up very high doing hikes. I know you guys recently were in, uh, were in Zion, or at least a couple of you guys were angels landing is a chain trail where you're on basically oh, yeah. like a little goat trail thousand feet up. I had no trouble hiking that. I've had no trouble zip lining over pretty high things, but then there are some times where I get to like 30 feet up and they're like, Oh, jump in the water. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, but then it took years. It took years for me to find out. And this is from a, a former coworker of mine. He was a former uh, Colonel in the, in the army. He said, Oh yeah. When I, when I did a, a bunch of jumps and you know, I was on the tower, they told us that right around 32, 33 feet, if you have vertigo, that's when it's the worst because I guess like somewhere in our lizard brain or whatever, we're like, you know what? If I fell from this distance, I would die or I would get seriously hurt. But you don't think that way when you're a hundred feet up or 200 feet up, <laughs> you almost know. But just the idea that, yeah, if I fall from here, I'm not going to die instantly. I'll probably be in a lot of pain. That might explain why I, I've pushed out a couple of times where I'm like, I'm not jumping off that or I'm not swinging off of that, but I'll do it three or four times the height up. I don't know if you guys have ever encountered something like that or if I'm just completely crazy here. Well, no. So, so what I have discovered is that there are, there are a few things that we endeavor to do and that people think they want to do until they get like knee deep in it. And then they realize, Ooh, I'm not a fan. Um, heights in, in complete honesty, Kevin, I am terrified of heights and confined <laughs> space. You want to put me in like my own special hell, put me in a dark cave that's really, really tight. And that was the first class I did when I came to SE. And I didn't tell anybody that I was terrified of heights and confined space. And they thought for a long time um, that I was lying to them. But in, even now, you know, five years and change in and hundreds of repels later, um, it is like a Rage Against the Machine album playing in my brain that I am trying to quiet down and focus on my task. Mm -hmm. Uh Ropes is one of those uh, truth serums for a lot of people. And then swift water is another one where, where um, those are two elements that, that can, that can really, um, I guess, uh, get in people's kitchen a little bit mentally uh, if they're not prepared for it. And even if they think they are, I mean, we see people that literally, you know, balk on, um, on, on, on the tower on natural terrain, I, we had a recent SRT class and I have never had a student that sat down and literally sobbed. And we had a young lady who, who climbs all the time. Uh, I mean, this girl would climb 90 feet up, but she, but she had a, a mental block going down. And, and so it's, it's just something that, you know, different people have to work through and we're all wired a little different. We have a different, you know, set of experiences. And, and so 
you know, you, there's a, a pit that we repel that's, I think, 240 feet called Valhalla. And when I break the edge over, it's a free hang. It's a 227, 28 foot, maybe free repel that after you break the edge, you're not touching anything and you're just descending into this abyss. And as I'm breaking that edge, I feel like the Grim Reaper's hands coming up and grabbing my waist and trying to pull me down. Like it's, it's, that's the visual I get. And I just have to work through it in my brain and, and, and trust my equipment and trust the people I'm with. And then ultimately over time I've learned and, and come to trust my own experience and knowledge and skill. And, and that's kind of my process. Yeah. For the gun guys listening, uh, this next point I think will be very easily understood. I always tell people like when you're doing a rappel or you're doing something that involves a very complicated task and a very, you have to be very detail oriented when you're doing something like that, you can, or it's very important to focus primarily with what's in front of you, like literally in front of you, your, your break hand, your, your rappel or belay device, whatever it may be. You can't, you can't affect anything at the bottom of that, that rappel, you know, like you should obviously be aware of where the end of your line is. Um, but for the gun guys, it's like, well, where do you put your focus? Do you focus on the target, the front sight, the rear sight? Do you try to go back and forth, shifting near far? Um, when you're rappelling, you have to focus on what you have exactly in front of you at that moment and deal with what's in front of you until, you know, you you have to like get to a new location where you now you're worried about like, okay, how far is it till I get to the ground? You know, like I, I tell people like you have to focus on that. If you don't focus on that, you're really putting yourself in a bad bad spot. Um, and, and that's God, I mean, I couldn't imagine that much of a, of a free repel and just hanging there. And this is all single rope, right? Like there's no one. Uh, oh yeah. 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 It's single rope. Damn. When and we did that thing, with Petzl, we, we ascend it, you know, we ascend it, uh, using Jumars or ascenders on the yeah. same rope, you know, later. So you've got to, however far you go down, that's how far you got to come up to. Damn. That's a hell of a workout. Um, the swift, you, you water, know, for me, yeah. I have to develop, I'm a systems guy. And so I have to develop like a series of checks. And one of the things that we're big on is, is like a check off with a buddy. And we like, you don't visualize anything. You physically touch and manipulate every item mm -hmm. that you're supposed to check off. And, and, you know, you talk about, I, I, I grew up being a shooter and done some competitive shooting and other stuff. Even more so than shooting, I go through these checkoffs whenever I'm like bow hunting or shooting a bow, uh, whether it compound or trad. Like there's just certain like there's uh, physical landmarks that you have to hit. And, and, and so by developing those systems, I'm trying to ensure a, a good shot that, that is that I can duplicate and replicate time and time again. And it's very much the same for me with with single rope technique and whether it's building anchors or, or managing the deck up top and, and making sure that people are going off and doing, you know, safe, uh, safe repels and all that stuff is, is making sure you develop those systems and those systems come from experience. And obviously, you know, that experience starts with good solid training up front. So making sure that if you're the, if you're going off, uh, on rope with somebody and you're the smartest person in the room and you're not that smart, smart, then you're in the wrong room, yeah. get in a different room, <laughs> you know? So, uh, that's kind of where we're at with that. Yeah. You touched upon swift water for a hot second there. And, you know, my background is in, you know, whitewater kayaking, canoeing. I, I grew up not far from a world-class trophy trout stream. And, you know, we had this one rapid called Satan's kingdom, not far from where the canoe shop was that I used to work. And people would 
lose their mind going through Satan's kingdom. Now Satan's kingdom on a, on a good day was like a three plus rapid. It really wasn't terrible, but people have died in Satan's kingdom because they lost their mind, right? They put their feet down in the middle of a rapid instead of trying to swim. Um, it's been very interesting over the years when I've been on the water, seeing the effects of what most people would say is just like calm water going around rocks while watching that calm water literally pop every rivet in an aluminum canoe. And I mean, it just, it inspires people to respect water and how much force it has. And, and I think that's, what's really cool about you guys is that you tie a lot of that swift water rescue into everyday scenarios. Like, should I drive across that flooded road? You know, what is that? What is that one foot of standing water due to the weight of the vehicle and the force that's applied to the side? Like you guys are definitely, definitely at the cutting edge of applying these very adrenaline based uh, skill sets to everyday reality that could change as soon as the the storm clouds roll in. Um, well, well, and that's we worked a so I like you. I paddled a, a whitewater boat for twenty plus years. I was a, a, de- a kayak paddler, uh, uh-huh. and, and being in the southeast. I tended to gravitate towards, we have a lot, I love the the steep creeks and the technical water. And I was very fortunate to paddle with some folks uh, that were really, really good. Uh, But as you, as you well know, as you go up in difficulty on rapids, the danger and the, the window uh, for, for mistakes just gets smaller and smaller, almost at an exponentially, you know, the difference between a class four and class five isn't a step up. It's almost in an exponential mm-hmm. growth factor, yeah. uh, especially when it comes to risk. Um, and so with what we do, like search and rescuers never get called out in good weather, you know, and like I, I've been working this whole week on a, not even a swift water awareness, but basically what I call a swift water survival class for that we're going to teach this weekend that, that, you know, this is when Murphy has visited and things have broken bad and you find yourself in the water that you got to do everything you can to affect your own rescue. How do you do that? And that's based on, you know, 20 plus years of being a whitewater boater and, and, and performing many, many, many of my own self rescues in, in bad situations. Um, and, uh, and so it comes from a different stance and whenever, you know, you have that, that knowledge base or that experience base, it makes a difference. And also as an, as an instructor, um, dude, I, I've lost two friends to the river and I've worked at least two other drownings, one on the golly and, uh, another one on the Nanahala on just a very benign section of river. Um, and, and then, when you've seen people pay that price, you teach things and, and you really, you really want to hit home certain points, uh, as much as anything in swift water, it's a mindset uh, of assess and commit like act. Um, and that becomes very important to, to me to convey to our people is like, look, you pick a route and go save yourself. No one's coming. So yeah. get yourself out. You know, it, it drives me crazy. Um, you know, on that same river that I grew up on, there were a lot of people that would go through like the state run tubing organization and they were sticklers for you better have your life jacket on. You better have it clipped as opposed to doing like the cool guy where it's unclipped and, you know, straps are hanging everywhere. But then there were a lot of folks that did their own operation where they're like, look, we'll park one vehicle down here. We'll park the other one up here and we're going to go in. We're not going to pay the 10 bucks or whatever. And they would go in without a life jacket. And every so often you'd hear stories of people getting 
you know, uh, getting taken by the river. And once in a while you'd hear that it was like firefighters in just their, their downtime. They went through a rapid, they had life jackets, but they weren't clipped. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, of all people, you know? Um, I think that's, that's something like normally I'm not a big fan of, of like harassing people on, you know, recreational, uh, you know, days off. But if, someone from DNR or an environmental police officer says, Hey buddy, where's your life jacket? They're doing it to save your ass, you know, because people have, and because they have a set of experiences that you don't 100%. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I think the greatest lesson for me is just, if there's a law about a life jacket for a particular stretch of river, you probably want to put it on. I mean, uh, it's not paddling or, or kayaking, canoeing, but where I used to go fishing out in Western New York at a place called Oak Orchard, they just implemented putting a life jacket on when you're fishing, walking along the river along a certain stretch, because they had a couple guys get swept away. Um, one of the guys threw one of the turbines of all things. But oh uh, wow, yeah. So man. it's a dam control, so water can come up quickly and unexpectedly, and people find themselves in a bad spot and aren't as strong a swimmer as they should be, probably. Yeah, just just like swim, the golfers, hard to right? swim in waders too. Yeah. The gall does the gully still do that that big release where they pump all that water out and it's like I mean it's it's worthy of like an Instagram or a Facebook viral. Oh dude, yeah. Post. So so uh, the gully, the upper gully especially, they have the upper gully festival that runs for about 6 weeks every yeah. year. Same with the Russell Fork and and uh, dude, I love uh, I love paddling the gully and love paddling the Russell Fork. The Russell Fork's the probably the gnarliest river on the East Coast that they take commercial rafts down in the gully, the upper gully is not far behind, but yeah, it's just like instant river, just flip a switch and you've got three massive tubes of, I mean, it's, it's really hard to describe if No one's ever seen it. They, they need to. Um, but it's quite the, quite the phenomenon on both, both beautiful rivers. Uh, I mean, absolutely gorgeous rivers, but both absolutely lethal if you're not on your game or you make a mistake. Yeah. Um, shifting topics a little bit. We talked about the knives. We talked about some of the training, some of the gear. You guys are diversifying a bit. You're not just selling survival knives, bushcraft knives. You're starting to get into some of the emergency kits. And yes, yes. And, and can you just talk about like some of the the products that you you have out there now? Because for a lot of folks that are getting into uh, bushcraft, survival, hiking, hunting, fishing. Or for folks that are like, well, what do I get someone who has everything? Well, you can always get them an additional kit that levels up their preparedness. If they tuck it in their glove compartment or they if they they put it in their um, their backpack and they never had a kit there before, they'll find a use for it. So what are some of the, the things that you guys are selling that are kit-based or emergency kit-based um, that we should be aware of? So we've done these survival kits for a long time, and 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 most of what we do is born out of our own experience in the field. So we've got, and you know, starting at the top down, uh, an advanced survival kit that that's people's like, oh, that's expensive. It's like, yep, it is. It is expensive. Um, and our number one customer for that particular product is Alaska bush plane pilots. We sell more of those to Alaska and other places similar to that than we do just about anywhere. So we feel like that's a pretty good uh, tip of the hat as far as where that goes. Pretty comprehensive uh, system. Uh, I keep one in my vehicle. Um, But we've been doing our own nylon. So we make all of our own nylon uh, gear uh, there. Uh, That's one of the things that Mike Perrin heads up and does an excellent job with. He does a lot of the R&D stuff on that. 
and, and then we sew most of that stuff in-house uh, there in and around Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, all of our nylon stuff, whether it's molly backs for our sheaths or, or kits or pouches, like the little, we have, a, you know, a bunch of different little survival kits. Um, uh, all the bags are well-made, overly, overly built, and just like everything we do. Uh, and it's all USA made, very compliant, just like our, you know, our knives are. Um, we have a, a field tin kit that's, that, that is super comprehensive as far as if you needed to stash a kit somewhere. Uh, you can always go buy stuff and, and make your own kit. And we certainly tell you, by all means, do that. Um, the problem with a lot of kits that you get off the shelf is they're really focused on being money makers and, and high margin items. And we really just build the kits and we don't really care about the price as much because we're going to put in there something that we endorse. Um, I know in the last year, two years, we've really gone through and revamped a lot of our kits because we found some better products and we've now, you know, made some swaps in our kits, uh, that make them more capable. Um, one thing that, that I'll say, you know, we talk about putting kits in places and all this other stuff, uh, but people, there's a lot of people with a lot of gear and no skill. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that goes back to our roots and training is, is you have to spend the time in the dirt to develop those skills to get done what you need to get done. Um, and we put skill at a premium. Uh, you know, I think Morris uh, said it best when he said, the, the more you know, the less you carry. Um, and skill is weightless. And, and while it may not be free, it's certainly, uh, if you have the ability to, to adapt, to overcome, to improvise, because you, you know, voluntarily put yourself in a situation before where you have to do those things, then, then should that time come where you actually need those skills, you're going to be much better off, uh, for it because you chose to do that. One of the reasons why I, my first book was 101 skills you need is because I knew that the skills were timeless. You know, I knew that yes. it, it didn't matter if someone picked up my book, you know, when it first came out or long after I'm off this planet, right? Like I have a feeling that people will say, you know what, this guy was onto something, you know, when he's talking about how to select firewood, oh, it's, you know, it didn't matter what era you grew up in, it's still going to be relevant. Now, when the little green men show up from outer space and they provide all these new plants that are going to make us into an avatar world, maybe my, my book won't have any, any merit or value, but for now, I think it's, it's pretty damn good. And I think you're spot on with your assessment of the kits that are out there. There, there's a lot of, I mean, survival kit is a fancy word, right? It's a word that sells a lot of products the same way that like tactical is used to sell a lot of products, but preppers, anything associated with prepper, all that. And there's a lot of gear collectors, man. There's a lot of guys with, you know, tons of Molly gear and all this other stuff. And, you know, they had their 72 hour bag, but yet they've never hiked more than from the car to the, to the house with that Mm -hmm. bag. And they realized they're carrying you know, 50 pounds of gear in a, in a bag that's not made to carry more than a, a, a few folders. And they quickly just realize they've outrun the uh, ability of that bag and the suspension on it. And, and now that thing's turned into a torture device. Yeah, man. I've got a couple real big pet peeves in, in terms of training. One is when people show up with bags that they look like gypsy camps. You know what I mean? Like they've got yeah. everything hanging off of them. And I'm like, you realize everything's going to get ripped off when you go through the thick woods. Molly on Molly on Molly. Yeah. We're, we're not talking about like walking down a trail that's well-maintained and open. We're talking like bushwhacking through a trail, through, through the, you know, dense woods 
everything's getting ripped off. So pet peeve number one. Pet peeve number two is when I, I see guys that show up with like giant battle belts. And I get it. There's a time and a place for a battle belt, you know, for training or or maybe when you get to camp, you put on your, you know, your uh your canteen and your 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 larger knife or whatever. But I always tell people like train the way that you are every single day, you know, like there's a lot of fantasy training out there and, and that's just, it just drives me crazy. Um, but well, I'm just going to assume that you're doing training in like the air quotes with the fingers because yeah, my hands haven't people, stopped moving over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're up by your head doing the air quote thing. Most people aren't going to willfully put themselves in a situation of discomfort. Uh, that has to be a mindset that you seek that stuff out. Uh, and you need to proof, you know, you need to proof your skill and you need to proof your training. Um, and if it doesn't work, then you just need to be real honest with yourself. But, you know, you, you, we, we call it running a slick pack mm-hmm. and a, a slick pack is I want to, uh, you know, for search and rescue, man, we, we can, depending on what we're doing, uh, you can look like a gypsy team at times. I know, I remember one particular search I was working as the RIT team, the rapid intervention team. And we're basically rescuers for the rescuer. And we're working and in a place that's high angle that has swift water. And and so we're, you know, we look like, you know, gypsies walking down the trail because we've got, you know, PFDs and rope gear and all that stuff. But we were on a trail in that particular case. A lot of times we spend, you know, a lot of time in the Southeast in very dense vegetation, um, where if you, you know, have molly on molly on molly, like a lot of people want to run, you're getting hung up. You're fighting your pack more than you're carrying your pack. Mm-hmm. And, and so trying to slick that pattern out a little bit so that you're not grabbing on every single little thing, uh, it makes life a whole lot easier. Or conversely, if you have to take your – I mean, we, we've gone through roto thickets where you're basically following a bear trail through that thing and you're having to take your pack off and slide it ahead of you. Um, it just makes, um, movement, uh, in, in austere environments, thick, thick vegetation, a lot of it just makes it so much easier. And when you're having to do that for hours on end for days at a time, uh, that's a lot of calories and a lot of exertion that, that, you know, a lot of people aren't accustomed to burning. Uh, You know, it's shaking out your gear. Um, it's testing your gear. It's getting it dirty. It's, it's. It, you know, it's seeing if it, if it works, um, by actually pressure testing it. Um, do you ever watch that show Yellowstone? Yes. Yes. There's a scene in there where, uh, the character Rip talks to that, the little orphan that they pick up and he goes, you better get yourself ugly real quick, son, you know? And, oh yeah. And, and I, I was, the more and more I think about that show and the writing, I'm like, damn, they really came up with some good ideas because I've seen again, in training, I've seen guys show up with gear that you can tell has been used and they're not afraid to get it dirty because it's already dirty or it's already scratched or whatever. But then I've also seen the guy that shows up with like, and again, I'll, I'll target this towards the the gun audience picture. The guy that shows up with the Wilson combat, super grade, you know, $4,000 pistol. And then there's a guy that shows up with like a $400 beater Glock. That was like a police trade in. And then you tell them like, all right, uh, you're going to do uh, a one-handed mag change, but what you're going to do is you're actually going to put the gun on the deck and you're going to manipulate it on the deck if, from a kneeling position. And you'll see the guy with the 1911 and be like, oh, this is not going in the dirt. And the Glock Can guy is there. I take my there. shirt off? Yeah. 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 The Glock guy is there, you know, dumping everything on, on the top or, you know, the SIG 320 or whatever it is. It's a tool. Use it like a tool. Yeah. Um, 
so now what's next for you guys? Like what's 2022 going to bring you guys 2023? Man, who knows? Uh, I mean, we're still like from a, from the knife standpoint, uh, we're buried in work so much so that we can't get new product. I mean, uh, as much as I hate to say it, that, you know, COVID has, has boomed our business to the point to where we're having an, an, an exceedingly hard time of keeping up. But I think that's just about the case for everybody. I, I think almost every knife company in the world right now, definitely in the United States is in the same boat where we're running as hard, as fast as we can to, to keep up with production demand. Uh, I'll be honest with you on the, on the other side, on the training side, we've not slowed down. Uh, when, when COVID first hit, um, we, um, we, we should, you know, close the doors for about three or four months and then, and then actually about three months and then we got right back at it and we've been going great guns ever since. So we train all the time. Uh, we're doing a lot of search and rescue training. We still have a lot, you know, our intro to survival, our advanced bushcraft, our field survival, um, uh, parent child weekends. I mean, our, our schedule is more full now than it has ever been. And, and we're even now training. Like we're doing a lot more work uh, from Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, North Carolina with training uh, municipalities in search and rescue, uh, and and we do all that. We do all that training to to all these other agencies free of charge. You know, for us, Randall's Adventure Training is not about making money. We are we are very keenly focused on trying to put out. Uh, as much good training as possible for good people. So you know, you're doing the bestest for the mostest and. And sadly, search and rescue is kind of like the the bastard child of of first responders because nobody thinks about it until they need it, and then when they need it, man, do they ever need it, you know? Um, and, and so it's something that doesn't get prioritized very much. And so we're really trying to help those agencies that are forward thinking and forward looking and realizing, you know, there's work to be done here, and let's let's get these guys in. Well, brother, I'll tell you, I'm going to be your uh, next door neighbor probably in October or November. I'm, I'm actually moving shop personally from Utah to North Carolina. So uh, I'll be taking that trip over to see you guys a whole bunch, I'm sure. And well, yeah, uh, please do. Yeah. And for anyone that's listening, like if you guys couldn't tell, there's a reason why I always tell people check out Essie, right? Check out what these folks are doing because they are as like-minded to us at Fieldcraft as anyone else, right? And over the years, Whenever I've, I put out the call for support, whether as a writer or as an instructor or, hey, I need a demo knife for, for students, SE has always had my back. So I'm always going to have theirs. I'll never, ever, ever turn my back on SE. So where can people find you, Shane? We mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, but if they were zoning out or getting their coffee or whatever, where can they find you? So Randall's Adventure Training is randallsadventure.com. Uh, SE Knives is seknives.com. Uh, we have, uh, a YouTube channel, uh, uh, TikTok, which I hate. Um, Instagram, uh, is at Shane Adams 90 and, uh, SE Rat Pack podcast. We do have our own podcast for about five in and we're just having like you conversations with people that we like, that we feel like have a story. And, and it's just another way of, of getting information out to people. Uh, like, follow, subscribe, all that stuff. We have a Facebook page, but I don't know if we'll do anything with it because I don't plan on getting back on Facebook. And and right now, it's just limited use. So if you need somebody or something, I'm Shane at seknives.com. I'll be happy to help you out. And uh, Kevin, I, I just appreciate the opportunity. 
and, and we view you guys at, at, at Fieldcraft very much the same way as, as compatriots and, 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 and buddies out there, uh, compadres, um, doing the same thing and, and, and putting out the same level of training that we hope to and, and to better equip folks for those that want to challenge themselves and just be better. Yeah, man. We, uh, we say that we don't have competition with other survival schools. We consider, you know, the, the folks that want to censor us, that's our competition, right? The folks that want to keep information from good people, that's our competition. So dude, it was awesome. Thanks so much for being on here. And, uh, I'll just give one more shout out to our, our friends at SIG and our friends at Black Rebel Coffee. Hopefully you guys stay armed and caffeinated with those two companies. So Shane, thanks so much for, uh, for joining us today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. All right.